Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott. And I am Sharice Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences. Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have. Episode 20. The moon is a reminder that no matter what phase you are in, you are still whole. Welcome back from our six-month sabbatical. We are so happy to be back together in studio here with all of you again. Yes, I'm sure you've been long anticipating this. It's a new year, same us. <laughs> yeah, new year, same us. Kind of different us too, though. <laughs> Trying to be better us. Yeah. Working on us. My motto is surviving, not thriving. What's your motto, Carissa? I don't know that I have a motto. My New Year's resolution for 2023 was to stop rushing. Okay, how's that going? It's not going well. Hmm. Maybe we'll kick things off with a funny story. Sure. So as I've been embracing a new role with work that is very much an intersection of my experience and what I am passionate about, one of the accidental byproducts of doing work that you love and are so passionate about is that it's uh, very hard to fulfill the don't rush, slow down goal that one has for oneself. Mm -hmm. But on, on a particularly busy Friday morning, as I was getting ready for work, brushing my teeth, thinking about... Uh, the back-to-back meetings I had throughout the rest of the day and how I had no room on my calendar for anything. I picked up the floss, started flossing my teeth, going through my meetings in my mind, and out popped a crown and it went rolling down the drain. (laughs) (laughs) But it gets better. Yeah, so... Because she actually attended some Zoom meeting. (laughs) Without a duke. Without a (laughs) duke. I did. However, I made my way to the dentist office, got to put back on. The dentist uh, reminded me that it's not probably a good thing if the only place I have to relax is in the dentist chair throughout the day. So anyways, that was my lesson in in rushing and I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. And the tooth is gone. The old tooth? No, (laughs) the tooth got glued back on. I recovered it. I recovered it and it was pretty simple. They just cemented it back in. Wow, that's good because those are expensive. I know. And also this is a stage of life that I'm at. uh, I'm losing teeth. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I haven't had benefits since university. So I'm pretty sure how many years has it been? Six years? I've been to the dentist in six years. (laughs) (laughs) Sharice, you need to go to the dentist. Bodhi tells me my teeth are yellow. (laughs) Oh, bless children. Yep. Which, by the way, they're not. I'm very diligent about my teeth, so. You are. I I report to Bodhi when I'm whitening them, so he can be less critical of my appearance. (laughs) So rude. (laughs) Kids, they're brutally honest. I know. All right, sis, of all the places we could start today, where shall we begin? Hmm. Well... I'm pretty sure when we started last, or when we had our last podcast, I don't think I had started my master's yet. No, I think I put a little announcement on social media so that all of our listeners could celebrate with you and for you. How's it going? And honestly, it's actually meeting my expectations of it not being very good. (laughs) Not going well. Like, that might sound like I'm a very pessimistic person, but... This is one one time where having very realistic expectations can be helpful because when things are hard and I feel like I'm falling apart, I'm like, oh, yes, I wasn't 
oblivious or blind to this. Mm. Kind of like I was anticipating the struggle. So for those who might not know, what are you taking your master's in? Oh, and yes. what are you what have you learned so far? So my master's is in counseling psychology. I'm doing the master's of arts stream, so I can take only one statistics course, not two. And I already did that course. Uh, How is it going? I I have this really special talent of turning everything I do into torture (laughs) (laughs) by way of um, overachieving and perfectionism. So I feel like I place so much emphasis and invest so much of myself into learning or the experience of learning that it feels very personal when I receive any criticism or I feel like I'm not good enough. So then I it, it really does take a toll on my self-esteem and my sanity. So I'm trying to learn how to still survive in the system and have less of myself or my identity attached to my the outcome. Yeah. And less of your self-worth attached to your grades or your GPA. Yes. Which I was having meltdowns constantly because of the feedback I was getting from the professors. And then I just found the, my cumulative GPA the other day and I realized I'm at a 3.9. And so <laughs> then I realized how outsized my responses have been to <laughs> the feedback because I'm still doing well. So... Yes. Okay. And so outside of what you're learning about yourself, what have you learned that you can share with the listeners? What have I learned? You know, what would actually be better is if I apply some of this theory to your life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 So tell me what you've been encountering, working on. Yes. And then I'll see, apply some of my theories to you. Okay. Okay. So I would say over the course of the past several years, I have really been harnessing, healing, and embodying my my inner feminism, my inner femininity, mm-hmm. and allowing it to come to the surface in, in a very male-dominated, masculine world. And interestingly, as I've moved into a new position as director of women in business, supporting and elevating women business owners and leaders and contributing to financial equity, again, something that I'm very passionate about, what I've realized is I need to also embrace the masculinity, this sort of yin-yang that happens with the feminine and masculine working in tandem, and this idea that any movement or any momentum isn't truly a movement, isn't truly feminism, unless everyone is included. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm wrestling with, I guess, at the moment, is trying to integrate those two, feminine and masculine, within myself and continuing to lead in a centered, grounded, and authentic way. Mm -hmm. I guess the part that I would like to add to is we had spoken about this earlier about because it's such a fast-paced environment and it's it's an intellectual environment in many ways, there's sometimes an absence of embodiment. Yes. And so the thing is, to embody something, you also have to slow down enough to embody it. Yeah, so I tried adding calendar reminders for myself that said, slow down to speed up. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stop rushing, slow down. And while I I do still have very diligent morning routines where I start my Mm -hmm. day slow, where I start my day with a cup of coffee and a journal and a candle, 
I cozy up in my favorite oversized thinking chair. Um, Normally at around 7 a.m., Bodhi comes downstairs and joins me in the chair. We have a cuddle. Then eventually Gabe begrudgingly comes down, gives me like a head bonk or a side nudge. And that's how I start my day. However, I would say it's been at a, an accelerated pace mm-hmm. beyond that morning time. And in reflecting for myself, I think a big part of that is when I'm in, in uncharted waters, when I'm doing things that are new or challenging, things that I haven't yet perfected, where I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable or doing things in new ways, I tend to cling to overachieving mm-hmm. um, or proving. I fall into proving energy. Let me prove to you why I was the right person for this job. Let me prove to you why I am the right person for this work. And in that proving energy, it becomes a lot harder to slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm thinking I can go two ways with this. So first I'll go the theoretical route and then I'll share the other part. So okay, this there's this idea called conditions of worth. And this is a Rogerian, Carl Rogers. It's a very person-centered approach, but... It's this notion that our external circumstances, how we were praised or what was modeled to us for hmm, maybe how our parents modeled things to us, how our environment mirrored to us that our worth is through achievement, perhaps. We'll just say that way. And this is all of society, by the way. Yes, Society demands that women's value is outside of ourselves. Yes. It insists in, in all messaging, overt and unconscious. Mm-hmm. That there's something outside of us that is required for us to be better. And I would say, to, like, I think that's not gender specific. You think the whole world oh, says yes. that? Men, men too. Because hmm. you, you need, all of the answers are outside of ourselves. is what I think society conditions everyone. The answers are not within. Hmm. I guess that's capitalism. Yeah. Yep. And so what happens anyways is that becomes internalized. All of those messages become internalized. And then that's what establishes our own conditions of worth. So then we're oriented in society in a way that reinforces those conditions of worth. Yeah. So that's the theoretical perspective. I was just thinking how different you and I are in that respect, because if I'm expected to perform like that, I can't even begin. Well, the, here's the irony. Yeah. It's the only expectations that were there are ones I placed on myself. But I feel like there's, there is an environment. The hard thing is because you're in environments that reinforce it, though. That re- well, that, that, that reward, reward it. it. Exactly. Yeah. So they reward it. So I think there is something to that. Like, I feel debilitated when I feel like I have to prove myself because it feels like such an elusive standard. It's not even anything that I specifically can do. It doesn't feel, it's nothing personal to me, right? It's just like proving this point that I can't even prove to you that I'm enough because I can't even convince you that I'm enough in a way. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. So I feel like so, it's like a battle I don't even want to begin. That's mm. where I go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I think I find this fuel somewhere deeper inside of myself that I can't even really describe. It's always in the center of my stomach. It's always in my womb. It's this like fire passion. It's also where a lot of my pain comes from, mm-hmm. but I, I use that for momentum. Yeah. So even in situations that may not be healthy or where there is that external validation, I find intrinsic value. I find intrinsic fuel. Yes. And again, the challenge with that is I don't have like a dimmer switch. Mine is on or off. Yeah. So I can't, when I open up the valve, <laughs> just the passion can very much overcome me and 
then I start to overdo things. But I'm trying to understand what, how that begins even. And it might not even be that conscious really, right? Is it? No, it's, um, it's not. And here I think is maybe how I can explain it in another way. Mm-hmm. I feel like my purpose on this planet is to be a conduit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not even of me. Mm. Okay. It's like, again, this valve turns on. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I plug into this zone and there are people, energies, I can't even explain it working through me. Okay. Hmm. Almost like goddess or divine energy from all over the world who are using me to do their work. Hmm. The trick is, though, I'm only a human being. Yeah. Right? So, like, nobody can, or certainly not me. I shouldn't say nobody. Maybe some can. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't sustain that for long periods of time. I'm a mere human being. And so the key for me is to stay grounded, mm-hmm. to slow myself down when that happens so that I keep my human self well enough to continue carrying out this important work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chris, I hope you're okay if we talk about our dynamic with this a bit sure. too, because this yeah. might be helpful for people with any sort of relationships. But this is something that's happened in our dynamic and I'm familiar with and Chris is too. But in the past, it was, um, I wouldn't have said anything. Yes. About you engaging in that dynamic. Yes. I would just mourn the loss of you. <laughs> <laughs> mourn the loss and then just try to figure out, okay, how do I navigate my life without you in it right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so this time I decided to, well, and you actually also said, like, help me see when I'm in this. Yep. And so I saw this kind of mounting and I fought with myself, like, how long do I let it go? Do I say something? And so eventually I did. Yes, yeah, you did. And it was beautiful that you did because number one, it made me realize how fast I had been going. Mm-hmm. I can even like laugh about it in the moment thinking about it when I think about how, how quickly I'm moving. And you said something that really stuck with me and I, I might be paraphrasing. This is what, what I interpreted yeah. from what you were saying about, but it feels like I can't even get to you. Even if I ran, like even if I scheduled something in your calendar, it's like I can't energetically catch you. Yes. And I was like, oh, oh. Yep, I get that. Mm-hmm. And then you asked me, like, how does Steve reach you? Yes. And I realized, oh, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> he just he just stays in his calm, grounded state and knows that I'll eventually return to him. Yeah, but when I'm in that state, yeah. He, yeah, he waits for me. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you for giving me the gentle nudge of being able to see that. And then also realizing, like, even though, yes, I feel this fuel and all this energy that moves through me is for a greater purpose, something bigger than me. I still have my own free will in terms of the kind of person, the kind of sister, the kind of mother, wife, human that I want to be. And so it's okay if sometimes I turn that down so that I can prioritize myself and my relationships with those that I love the most. Yeah. That's probably going to be the eternal struggle, Uh I think, because when you have a big mission, it's hard because they're almost conflicting in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to give up one to have the other to some extent. And I've realized they have to work in balance. Everything in my life, it's interesting that I am a Libra sign, the like scales of balance, because what fuels that momentum is actually what I learn in quiet contemplation, what comes to me when I am still. And This is embodiment. Yes. This is where embodiment happens. Yes. Yes. And this is also the state where embodiment happens, which I'm working through. (laughs) And then also when I'm just in stillness, if I'm not using that fuel, I start to feel like parts of my soul die. So there has to be a balance of both for me to like, for me to stay whole and happy. And I think eventually, 
yeah, something would give on either side if I wasn't having to constantly check that balance. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so interesting, right? And I'm trying to think how I'm oriented. I almost do the opposite. I make myself fully available for the people that I love and that are closest to me. I leave room always for that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense in my life. That, I guess, gets the top priority for me. And that in and of itself is revolutionary because how many people on this planet design their life to leave room for or space for people that they love most? Yeah. And, and then build it, yeah. it backwards. You know yeah. what I mean? Like build it from there. I have to say, though, that comes from privilege for me, too, because I can. Hmm. Because I have the support. I have the financial means. Like, I'm not so stuck in survival that I can do that. Mm. So I do need to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because some people just can't because they're surviving. But it's, I think it's the only way for me right now, say for right now, it's the only way that I know I can live healthily. Because if I, when it shifts for me, I just feel so out of alignment with myself and my values and what's important to me. I'm not living congruently. If I don't do that, Uh right? And that is such a personal question. Mm -hmm. Like to know when we're living a life, and that to me is also integrity, when we're living a life that's congruent with who we are and what our values are. Yes. And it's hard because I would say capitalism, industrialization, whatever, it's all counter to living where my values align Mm -hmm. or with the societal drive for like, Work is 90x percent of our life, and then whatever remainder goes to our our loved ones. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think that's probably in response to, I guess, witnessing our parents do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, let's see, and this is also so fascinating. Yeah. Just that two or three, all of the children in a household yes. can be in the exact same circumstances and interpreting it differently. To me, that was very aspirational. Mm. That our parents were building a community and doing something outside of themselves or bigger than themselves. Yeah. You internalize that working model. Yep. And, and it's, it's worked for yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. And for me, yeah. that was so wounding. Yeah. Because I was like, well, what about me? Right. And my feelings and the real things here that yeah. we're struggling with. And so, yeah, it was painful for me. That's probably where anything that feels like I'm getting into that lane, yeah. I... It's not congruent because I'm like, this feels bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Makes total sense. And so after that phone call, after you had yeah. the courage to call me and be like, hey, I feel like I can't reach you. Yeah. <laughs> You're moving too fast. What was your experience like in that? Mm-hmm. And how did you feel after that phone call? Okay. I was scared to ask mm-hmm. because this is my own struggles too, is like, what, what am I allowed to need from people? And I'm still struggling with this. It's hard. I don't know. Relying on people is the scariest thing for me. And so I'm trying to change that pattern because my pattern would be I don't ask for help. I don't ask for help. I just try to do things on my own. And then I hit a crisis of some sort, mental health, and then people have to pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to be proactive and say, hey, I have needs here. (laughs) Remember me over here? Um, So I don't get to that extreme point. Like I'm trying to be more responsible about that. So beautiful, sis. And to me, that's also so healing. Is there a way you could say it that doesn't feel like a reaching out or a needing something from someone? And then it's more of like, Hmm. I have a longing for you. Like I'm longing for our sisterhood or I'm longing for your time. Does that feel any better or no? No, because it's still just feeling, it's feeling vulnerable. Like for me, Uh, it's just that I, that 
because it's like I've not been used to having my emotional needs be validated or seen or responded to. So that is the scariest act for me is just admitting to someone that I need something from them, right? Yep. And I I think it's good that it's uncomfortable because I have to learn it. Otherwise, I'm going to be in perpetual relationships that are not enriching for me. It's just going to be a one-way street. Yeah. Yes. I actually sent uh, you a text message this week with a quote, which to me really exemplifies the courageous work that you're doing. As you heal, your attractions change too. Toxicity stops looking like excitement and peace stops looking like boredom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my therapist always says to me, and it's a little bit of exaggeration or a joke, but she says for me to look for healthy people is like, I need to find people that I find boring because that <laughs> means stability. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to, I guess, change how I interact with people and how I connect to people because I'm realizing it's unfulfilling to have a one-sided relationship. Yes. Yeah. And the path or the journey that you're on to get there is by going inside yourself. Yes. It's also giving yourself little Sharice mm-hmm. uh, the things that you needed or the things that you need. And to me, that is there is no greater act of courage than doing the work on ourselves and having the courage to to face the truth. Yeah. In a way, I just get sick of replaying the same pattern out. Yep. Like I'm tired of this pattern of what feels to me unhealthy relationships. And it's in many forms, whether that's friendship, whether it's romantically. Yeah. And then I had to get to that point where I'm like, well, there's a common denominator in all of these relationships and it's me, right? And and that's not to blame myself that I've, there's these people in my life, but it is like, how am I connecting with these types of people? Why am I drawn to these types of people? Because it's showed up enough in my life that it's a pattern. That is so relatable because that is true for all of us. Whether we're consciously aware of it or not, it's the law of attraction. Again, to me, it's the courageous work that you're doing to question that. And it's to me also when change happens is when there's enough, there's enough struggle or there's enough examples of a similar type situation that occur that forces us to stop and ask, why does this keep happening? Yeah. And right? almost like, how is this serving me in a way? Yes. And, and how is this yes. serving me? And this is a hard line to walk because it, especially with trauma, it can come across as victim blaming or putting too much responsibility on the survivor. But I guess you have to deal with that first. There has to be full acceptance that you were a victim or survivor. But then there has to be a a step of self-empowerment. And and that's kind of the lens I'm viewing this through is like, how do I change my role so that I'm not in these types of situations Mm -hmm. so often? Yes. Yeah, to kind of shift it away from that relentless individualism and like, oh, you just have to change yourself to make life better. Because it's kind of ignoring the systems of oppression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You're right. It has to happen in tandem, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yes, each of us have to do the work to heal. Yeah. And (laughs) we need those courageous enough to also be changing the systems and the structures of power. Yeah. And they still need to be acknowledged because, like, changing my perception of it isn't quite enough. It would be very helpful if there was more awareness of, I don't know, I guess just if if more people were aware of even their own attachment pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. Orientation. I'm somebody that always thinks through the lens of efficiency. Yep. What would be the fastest path as a society, do you think, to get there? 
So to create this, not only individual healing, but also systemic change. Self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and literacy to have it in our educational institutions. Yeah. Those human capability skills of emotional intelligence, empathy. And it has to start young enough so that there's like buy-in. Because I know they've tried to come in at the teenage years or high school or junior high. And it's almost too late at that point because there's a resistance to it. Mm. See, and I think, like, I totally agree. Yeah. It has to start with children and education. We have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, again, part of the reason I'm so passionate about the work that I'm doing is because in what I have observed as a leader Mm -hmm. and what I have observed about people in my life, it is largely the women that I'm surrounded by who have that self-awareness, who have this nurturing, collaborative, healing, love, and kindness Mm -hmm. in terms of how they envision or reimagine the world. And so to me, in terms of how to solve the problem as quickly as possible, (laughs) I think we need to empower more women to be in leadership positions. We need to empower more women to have a seat at the table, Mm -hmm. or in the words of Abby Wambach, for more women to build their own damn tables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that too. We can't preemptively like go back for our generation it's not like we can go back and change our circumstances so I think again how we were talking about the tandem it needs to start young and then also change at this yes time. yes yeah at our age Does yeah that maybe sense? and like just in terms of that again collective movement what if we each saw ourselves in that world if we each did one thing to move towards that world whether that's going inside and healing ourselves whether that's going into our family situations and and healing our families, whether that's, you know, like leading out loud, leading from the front, whatever that looks like for each of us. But if we each did one small thing, yeah, what would that ripple effect look like? Yeah. The one I, we call, I call it the one drop rule. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was thinking about though, too, is there's, a, there's also this element that regardless of how aware, um, supportive your family says, regardless, we all have the hero's journey, right? We all have to go through this process yes. of awakening or or healing like there's there's always something and that's kind of part of just the life journey in general whatever we need to unlearn it's a constant learning and unlearning yes so I want to highlight that too like I think I can't remember like the school of thought it is that we all have to suffer but Mm -hmm. I do believe that there's suffering in the world we all have to endure suffering what I'm thinking a lot about is how it's almost like we're walked to these pockets of life or we experience these moments of pain because it is a an invitation, I think, or or potentially a calling for us to then mm-hmm. blaze a path or blaze a trail for others to follow. So like to experience the pain, overcome it, and then to help someone else go through that themselves. It's mm-hmm. like it's almost like pain and trauma. I almost see them as gifts for those who will do the work to heal other people because we've already walked the journey and now we can walk alongside them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very ex- existential in nature. So existential theory is that we have to create meaning in our life, meaning and purpose mm. in some shape or form. That's part of what keeps us moving forward in life, propelling us in life. And so that's kind of what I hear you saying is how do we create and establish meaning Mm-hmm. And then I think Gloria Steinem said this, the generation before carries us to a certain area, level, state of awareness, whatever the hell you want to call it. And then we take the torch and do that. Yes. And I've been participating in the Indigenous Canada course recently. And first of all, learning so much, feeling and grieving and 
I don't even know what the word is, awakening to a lot. And so I'm on my own journey with it. Yeah, what I love so much about the Indigenous culture is this theory of, not even theory, this knowing of intergenerational, Mm -hmm. seven generations back, seven generations Mm -hmm. forward, and the cyclicality of life. There's something that is so beautiful in that and something that I think our society really is missing. Yeah. I agree. I was thinking the exact same thing, oddly enough. I'm like <laughs> the, the circular nature that of their existence, of their mm-hmm. orientation, and that the earth is a being too. Yes. For them. And for me, this is why I am so grateful to have grown up in a farming community, mm-hmm. acknowledging that our ancestors were white settlers who yes. took the land. And so it's even interesting reconciling all of that as I'm learning through this Indigenous Canada course. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I connected to growing up on the farm was that cyclicality, yeah. was that circle of life, was the spiritual connection that I felt to nature and the animals. Mm-hmm. And so I hold on to that feeling oftentimes when I'm needing to ground myself. Uh, and it's why for me, nature, I think is so healing. Yeah, I agree with that point. There's a, I guess, an understanding and appreciation for the earth and like our livelihood depended on nature. Yes. And so... You can't be disconnected from it when your livelihood is a part of it. Yeah. And I agree. I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Do we want to start including land acknowledgements at the beginning of our podcast? Hmm. The reason I wanted to ask that question, just sort of impromptu live on the air, is because to me, it's all about a journey, like Mm -hmm. admitting wherever we're at on that journey and just trying to be better or do better. I just want to share what my hesitation is with Yeah, it, sure. Is I don't want a virtue signal. No. So, Agreed. Right? So that's kind of where I'm like, well, maybe if we have an Indigenous person on, let's ask. I want to ask what their perspective of that is. Sure. Like of, of us doing that. Yeah. To me, it has to come from like an authentic and personal place. I agree. Like I don't want us to do it just to do it. Or yeah. To, like because said, I feel like that's be... what's happened. Yes. Be- Everyone yes. just does it because yes. you're supposed to do it. My caveat to that would be by including it, we would have to ensure that whoever's sharing it at the beginning of each episode is sharing something that's personal and meaningful and actually connects us to what the intention of sharing that land acknowledgement mm-hmm. is there to achieve, like what the intention is behind it. Okay, yeah. And what does it mean? Like saying something is great, but then what's the action to support that, I guess? Yeah, and right? to me, the action is, is the starting somewhere. Yeah, yeah the okay. action is like, okay. like the intention of starting it, like trying it. Okay, is enough again, even if we don't get it right, even if yeah, it's, that's fine. You know, okay, yeah, and I actually would love to pick a person's brain about that, like what they, yes. how they feel about that, what what is meaningful, how is that meaningful to them, if it is, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to know from their perspective. Okay, yeah, amazing. Sorry that got us on a bit of a tangent, but I know yeah. you had a question that to me really ties in with this. Oh yes, exactly. This very theme. Good thing you pointed that out. I forgot it was here. Okay, so. The question is, what does living on the edge mean to you? I'll let you start. I love this idea of being an edge walker. Again, something that I've, a phrase that I learned through the Indigenous Canada course. When I heard it and the definition was described, it totally resonated with who I I feel like I've always been. For me, being an edge walker is almost like an exercise of rebellion. It's refusing to tape myself to the rules or to tape myself to the, the way the rest of the people who live in the middle assign. So it's, it's an act of rebellion. And to me, being an edge walker means having the courage to look for a better way or find a better, better way in a way that's actually inclusive. 
Mm-hmm. So to me, being an edge walker is walking alongside other people who are also on the edge and inviting them into the circle. The word that was coming up for me, when even when you're talking, I think complacency feels like death to me, soul death, complacency. <laughs> and so, again, just like you shared the Indigenous perspective, my Eastern perspective, I can't remember who said this, but it's one foot in both worlds. Mm. And that's where I feel my existence is. I'm here, part one foot is here in this lived world, and then another foot is in the spiritual world where... I would rather be, to be honest, but (laughs) I'm an embodied human being, so I have to walk this life. So Yeah, but here you are, a human being. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think for me, living on the edge, like that's vitality, that's questioning, that's being curious about things, that's challenging, like you said, challenging the status quo, whatever the antithesis of complacency is. And to me, I keep seeing this image of not only a circle that we were talking about before, but also a horseshoe. This idea that like edge walkers kind of connect themselves to, again, those people who are on the edge and potentially at risk of falling off Mm -hmm. and then looping them in in a horseshoe. So in a way that if they want to leave this horseshoe, they can, there's an opening, Mm -hmm. but in a way that loops them in to something else, connects them to something else, almost like a chain. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Well, I have aphantasia, so I can't see it. (laughs) I can hear that. Yeah. So tell me about this aphantasia. Yeah, this is a, it's a fairly new term. And aphantasia is basically the absence of the ability to visualize, like voluntarily visualize. And it can, it works with all of your senses and people have different abilities or disabilities in this way. It's a spectrum. Yes, it's a spectrum. Exactly. So for me, I have visual, fairly strong visual aphantasia, meaning I can't, I cannot see that image. I can hear that image and and kind of think about what I should be seeing. But I can't produce that visual. So fascinating. And again, like another way that human beings are so, yeah, just so incredible in terms of like what what each of us can do, like what our skills and strengths are and blind spots are and all, like it's fascinating to me. So by contrast, my brain works in all pictures. Mm -hmm. I think in color. I think in feelings. Mm -hmm. So when you ask me the question about living on the edge, like what does that mean? I literally envisioned this very like dry, desert-like soil earth with cracked edges. It was in the shape of a circle. I could see the city landscape at, at the core where the majority of society is kind of hustling and bustling. And then I could see people walking outside along the edges. Mm, interesting. That's beautiful. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I really admire people that do. And it's interesting because the way I can do living in both worlds, so I have very strong kinesthetic orientations. Mm. So I can visualize movement That's in whatever cool. way. It's not visual, but I can, whatever. Can I, I have it. perception around movement cool. only and sound. Hence why you love podcasts. Yeah. So mom shared this one beautiful quote that somebody said to her is, I read through my ears and that is 100% true for me. Mm. Yeah. But it makes sense why I have learning disabilities in certain areas because I I can't voluntarily visualize. So anything that would require like producing imagery, seeing like even mathematically, right? When you yes. see. Yes, math is all visual. Yes. That's why writing down helps because it's kinesthetic. It's a movement orientation. If anybody is curious about this, you can go to a Fantasia network and you can do quizzes to see if you have any 
deficits or aptitudes, I think mm. is also. Yeah. Really cool. So now I'm going to throw some more imagery at you, (laughs) the image of a moon. Okay, I can see the moon. (laughs) So if you were to describe this phase of life, Mm -hmm. what what kind of a moon would you be? I'm a quarter moon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and why? Uh, I'm not new moon because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in like a new phase by any means. I'm at quarter capacity is what I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Quarter capacity moon. (laughs) Yeah, quarter capacity. I'm not half. This is the I'm surviving, not thriving. What about you? I love you. And I love your quarter moon. I feel like I am not quite at full moon, but like almost at full moon. What's that phase called? Three quarter moon? Maybe I'm three quarter moon. Three quarter moon. Probably ironically, if I slowed down, I'd be at full moon. Yeah. But I'm at three quarter moon. Quarter doesn't have time to to fill out the full full. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I think? What happens though when you go with the new phases? It's a new moon. Yeah. So it's, moon. it's getting just it just wants to get to that full moon real real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope there's some nuggets in here that people can relate to. I hope so too. And again, this idea that no matter what phase of moon you're in, you are still whole. So just a gentle reminder to be kind to yourself. To love yourself, love other people. Even if you're feeling quarter full, the full moon isn't always visible, if that makes sense. Because I forget that I'm whole all the time. (laughs) So even if you can only see the quarter moon, remember that you're whole. Yes, that's exactly what I want. Yes. Amazing. Till next time. Ciao. Hi, my name is Bodhi. I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day. Audio production by Joel Vargasi at Lewis Studios.